This is the Ivy League Hoops Hour, where we cover all things men's basketball in the Ancient Eight. And this is a special halftime edition, if you will, as we have started halfway through the season and coming to the close of 2021. Obviously, an eventful year on a number of levels. And we are happy to kind of chop it up for you and talk a bit as we go into the new year of 2022. I'm your co-host, Coach Sidney Johnson, former head coach of the Princeton Tigers from 2007 to 2011 and former three-time captain of the Tigers in 95, 96, and 97. And each and every week, I am joined by my co-host, Princeton alum and former Princeton graduate assistant coach, my guy. Lawrence L. Boogie Schuler. Lawrence, how you making out? Feeling great, Coach. How about you? I'm doing terrific, Lawrence, and I always want to remind our listeners, please join our conversation, whether it's the topics, guests that you have in mind, or your responses to Lawrence and I as we go point, counterpoint, weigh in. Please write to us at ivyleaguehoopshour at gmail.com. Let us know where you stand. And and also, an additional reminder, please don't keep this show and this fun to yourselves. Spread the word to friends, family, colleagues. Let them know about the show. Encourage them to follow, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating as we want to get the Ivy League Hoops Hour on everyone's iPhone, iPod, however you take in your podcast. My focus is a bit. I, I was up, Lawrence, um, till like midnight, twelve thirty or so last night, um, combing my, uh, my my timeline and and just going over stories of like college basketball and cancellations and COVID and and mixing in articles on the differences between uh, the Omicron, uh, variant and Delta, and just trying to piece together what the season is going to look like and how close the Ivy league is to some of their own cancellations or canceling the season. I don't say that lightly and, um, I'm not trying to be, uh, provocative in any way, but we all know that the Ivy, uh, league took the lead in terms of, um, its reaction to COVID, you know, and didn't play last year. And uh, they're the first to cancel uh, their conference tournament, Ivy Madness, in, uh, what was it, 2020? So, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm on high alert, if you will. If it's just a question of, if it's safe for the athletes and the coaches, the coaches and athletes feel fine, even when they're infected. So there's no reason that, on that basis, we need to cancel the games or whole seasons. The concern is the broader public health concern is, are these contests contributing to a spike in the broader population? And I think that's always been the concern. If fans aren't allowed at the games, if it's only the teams that are participating, like last year, essentially, a a good amount of last year um, was, what was that? just what was what? I just heard you sniffle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> Everybody's paranoid about this thing. <laughs> uh, I didn't even catch that. I, I, had, I had a tough time thinking that college sports should be moving forward 
when we didn't have a vaccine that was available to people, you know, wholesale and easy access and all that. I was just like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're making all these arrangements. I've, I don't see our reaction being what it needs to be. I do feel differently now that a vaccine is available. A booster is available. You should be able to benefit from moving forward in a safe way that doesn't endanger yourself and other folks who have also chosen to opt in to a healthy way of moving forward. And so then uh, it's a somewhat convoluted way of saying, I feel like, hey, so college basketball can move forward if you agree to these things, which is, you know, getting vaccinated, wearing a mask, not coming and going with, with folks who aren't wearing a mask, who aren't vaccinated. And if you agree to all that, you know, I think we can play games and not be endangering ourselves and others. At some point, life might go back to normal with this thing still around. Without question. I don't, know. I don't think we're going to be able to eradicate the coronavirus before we start resuming what we're used to. Well, without question, and, and not to one-up you, you know this more than I do, but, uh, you know, COVID-19 is, is one of, happens to be deadly, but it is one of, of many coronaviruses that are floating out there, you know, the common cold being a, a version of a coronavirus. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, now, it's incredible, though. It's incredible that we are able to make that statement when two years ago, I think we were all in a spot where we were wondering, is this, you know, what is life going to look like moving forward with millions of deaths? You know, and neither one of us are forgetting about that. But we've come a long way from thinking, um, is this coming for all of us? versus this unfortunately took a lot of people that we love and care about away from us, but there is some stemming of the tide. All right, coach, let's do some predictions for 2022. The Ivy League Defensive Player of the Year will be the Ivy League Defensive Player of the Year will be, once again, Jalen Ganey from Brown. So a couple years ago, the most recent season of Ivy League play, Ganey was a Defensive Player of the Year. And basically, Lawrence, I mean, obviously we know how well he blocks shots, but he's that classic rim protector as well. So if he's not blocking your shot, he's affecting it so much. Guys are going in there. They're shying away from finishing on a drive and they're forced to kick it out. Maybe that's not the best shot. He also, Jalen, has shown early in this season um, his ability to switch out on guards. So often Mike Martin might have them playing what I would call switch five defense, where whether it's a ball screen, back screen, any type of screen, um, he's allowing his center, Jalen, to be involved and switch out beyond guards he's able to stay in front of them block their shot discourage them from shooting a three and giving up the basketball so his impact on the game is immense he is surrounded by a number of very good on-ball defenders the kid ferrari off the bench mitchell who starts for brown but to me he's the number one defensive player uh, in the league um, i don't think it's close and i predict that he'll win Defensive Player of the Year once again in this 21-22 season. 
How about the Ivy League Rookie of the Year? Is it Keno Lilly Jr. or are you taking the field? Great question. I'm going with Keno Lilly. I mean, he, you know, watching, I was watching the Brown game against Syracuse uh, just the other night, and Mike Martin subs him in before the first media timeout. I mean, he's essentially a starter. I mean, the kid's playing starters minutes. He's taking starter shots. You know, they're leaning on him. He certainly is kind of what I would call the it guy. You know, you always need someone essentially um, an escape artist you know, to kind of bail you out if the possession isn't flowing the way you want it to or the defense is kind of locked down whatever play you're running. And somehow, some way, the ball gets in his hands and he just makes something happen. And there's not a lot of players who can do that. There's a, a couple good freshmen uh, for Columbia. It's been the one bright spot for them. You know, Murphy is the one that, that sticks out the most for Columbia, for the Lions. But I would say for me, Lily's the kid that I'm going to go with. He's been able to perform night in and night out and also on the road, which I think says a lot about the kid. And uh, he's cool as they come. Product of Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Played at the Landon School. Well coached in high school. Now being well coached in college, I would expect him to uh, win freshman of the year. So Brown has the defensive player of the year and the rookie of the year. So how much will it sting if they miss out on Ivy Madness? That would sting a great deal, but Lawrence, I'm going to tell you, it's not going to happen. I definitely think Brown is going to finish in the top four, and I'll say this. I'll even go a little bit further. I'm willing to bet a Lawrence Schuler monthly paycheck, not my own but his, that <laughs> it is not going to finish a traditional HYPP, meaning Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Penn. That's not happening this year. I, I think that Brown is almost a lock but I don't want to get ahead of myself, but almost a lock to be a top four finish. They bring a whole lot to the table defensively, and that's their calling card and their differentiator, if you will, in the league, Lawrence. There's a lot of good offenses, obviously Princeton and Cornell sitting at the top um, in terms of their fast pace and their efficiency points per possession. Dartmouth is looking good in that category as well. Penn shoots the absolute lights out from the three-point line. But Brown is the one, and this used to be reserved for Yale, who's not quite as defensively efficient as they have been. And offensively, Yale has not been as efficient as they, in their last championship, most recent championship season, led the league in assists and offensive efficiency. They were outstanding, one of the best in the country. Brown now has the best defense in the league right now. Their defense travels well on the road. We've referenced before that. They're the only team in the league that's holding uh, opponents to under a point per possession in road games. And so I am I'm really excited and looking forward to seeing how they go against some of these very good offensive teams. And I think they're going to come out, you know, on the good side of things more than not. So I have them finishing top four. Cornell could potentially finish in the top four. Princeton's a deadlock. And so now that leaves a spot open for Harvard. Yale to try to bump somebody. But the short version is the defensive player of the year and the freshman of the year coming out of the Brown Bears program and likely a top four finish. Well, let's go out on a limb. What are your seats? Well, okay. If I have to go there, Princeton has been my number one seed from the first week of the season and nothing I've seen this year in terms of their games and their performances has changed that uh, wavered me in any way, shape, or form. So Princeton Tigers, number one seed. The number two seed, geez. Um, 
you know, it's hard to overlook Cornell. I mean, and I know things will change. It just gets tougher. There's more film. The teams know you. But Cornell is playing really good basketball. We know that they have one of the fastest paced offenses in the entire country in terms of possessions per game. They're scoring a lot of points and they're playing so quickly and efficiently. That's the key. Um, I've said it before, but they are not turning the ball over. Their assist to turnover ratio is the best in the league. So just in terms of what my eyes have told me so far, Cornell is the second best team in the league right now. I'm going to go with Harvard as my third seed. I think they are just incredibly skilled. You know, the last time the Ivy League was up and running and I was doing TV games for ESPN and talking to a number of coaches throughout the year, like I'm doing with this pod, a number of them would say, you know, Harvard's depth uh, over there in Cambridge, their second best team could potentially lead, uh, win the league. That was two years ago. Well, now that depth, it's no different than it was a few years ago. Tommy Amaker is reloaded once again. But here's the deal, Lawrence. They've suffered a ton of injuries to their bigs. All right, so they don't have a single guy over 6'7", six, 6'8", six, playing out there on a consistent basis. And we know Kale Ketchings, a, a guest on the show earlier in the year, um, he is essentially playing, quote, out of position at the five, um, you know, standing about 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, so they've dealt with a lot of injuries, and yet they've still remained competitive. So my mind, my heart, my knowledge tells me if they get healthy, they are a lock for a top four. So I'm going to put them in at three, and I'm going to say Brown Bears coming in at four. Now, that says, oh, well, where is Yale? I just Right now, I just don't see it. I could see it in the league, and I'll be saying something different in three, four, five weeks. But right now, Princeton, Cornell, Harvard, Brown, there's your seating for Ivy Madness coming up in 2022. And last but not least, who's your pick for Ivy Player of the Year? Well, that goes to Tosan Awoma from the Princeton Tigers. I mean, Lawrence, he's like, the kid's unreal. He's so fun to watch. Giannis-like in terms of his impact on the game, I think, um, you know, point forward. Top 10 in scoring, top 10 in rebounding. He leads the league in assists. He's 6'8", 6'9", silky smooth. The Tigers go to him a lot. They'll throw it to him. They'll cut, pass, and move. And if nothing's going on, if nobody's open, um, and he'll find open guys, then he goes and gets himself to the rim, either for free throws uh, and ones or just a simple old school two, and now we're going down to the other way. Um, Azar Swain comes to mind to me because I do think Yale is going to win games in the conference, and that kid is just as cool as they come. He, Azar Swain has always been able to get to his spot. He's not extremely explosive, but he gets to the spot that he wants to, whether it's coming off a ball screen for a three or just a little bit beyond that to get in there for a pull-up or kind of floater, and he scores consistently outstanding guard for Yale. Wright and Llewellyn, they'll probably cancel themselves out as the, you know, the best backcourt in the league, bar none. The pair of them um, are outstanding for Princeton. So they're likely first teamers. Chris Ledlum obviously is having an outstanding season and has really, you know, shored up the Crimson attack as they've dealt with a slew of injuries. And so he's scoring at a high level among the best in the league and uh, an outstanding rebounder for them. And, and like I said, it's just kind of really 
help them have some semblance of a low post threat. They'll actually post him a number of times. They definitely isolate him on the perimeter and let him drive and go to work. Um, and he's helped them with defensive rebounding. So you have to look at him as a first-team All-Ivy. And the kid, Jordan Dingle, he's leading the league in scoring, a fantastic shooter, uh, never gets sped up when he's playing. You know, No matter how you guard him, whether you want to double-team him or put a ball hawk defender on him, it's just somehow some way the kid is just continues to keep his handle tight pulls up on you, makes deep shots, and then finds his teammates enough. But I'm not sure how many games Penn's going to win in the league. They're playing an incredibly young team, seven, eight freshmen and sophomores in a lineup uh, playing rotation of about nine or ten. So I'm giving you a lot, Lawrence. Those are kind of, and I didn't even mention the the kid show, the fifth-year senior from Brown, um, who's as tough as they come, and they play a lot through him in terms of posting him up or, you know, isolating him and letting him go to work. But I just think Tosan is just doing so much for the Tigers. They look so good, offensively efficient. They've passed Cornell in terms of their points per possession, and they're winning a whole lot of games, and they've played a tough schedule. So I just think that they're going to, you know, not run away with the league, but I just think they're head and shoulders above everybody else. And the best player to me is a guy who's making everyone better and doing so much. That's Tosan Awoma. He's my player of the year. We now come to the segment of our podcast where we reply to listener emails. This week's email comes from Zach Woolrich, who writes, Given the Princeton ties with John Rogers and my former teammates Kareem Maddox and Dan Mavradis. Here's Maddox who creates so well down low. He created an open jumper for Mavradis who knocks down a three. Who have participated on the professional circuit. I thought I would broach the topic of three-on-three basketball. With the growing popularity of this brand of basketball between the Big Three and FIBA and Olympics, what is your opinion of the NCAA adopting it as a sanctioned sport in the near future? Awesome question, Zach, and good to hear from you, brother. Former player of mine and and, uh, recruited to Princeton by Joe Scott and his staff and the son of the great Orlando Woolridge, former Laker. Whoop, whoop. So great to hear from you, Zach. And yeah, there's so much in there. Let's take that on. And let's start with, uh, he mentioned John Rogers. John Rogers is a Princeton alum, and he played under Coach Carrillo and was immensely affected positively influenced by his time with the Tigers and playing for coach and believes that was uh, one of the most transformative experiences in his life. John has gone on record with that. So he's, he's remained a huge supporter of Coach Carrill and the Princeton basketball team, just emotionally and just being around and offering his resources and advice and opportunities for folks connected to the program and obviously a very good basketball player. Uh, he co-captained um, senior year championship team for the Tigers. John also happens to run the um, Aerial Mutual Funds. Is that right, Lawrence? Aerial Investments. Aerial Investments. Thank you. And uh, to my knowledge, is the first African-American to own his own mutual investment fund company in the United States of America, all-time history. So uh, impressive. But John continued to play basketball after graduating and partnered with Craig Robinson, former great, Kit Miller, former great at Princeton, and I believe some guy named Arnie Duncan. Have you have you heard of him, Lawrence? 
Uh, here and there, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of Harvard's great players, and I think that they played the Hoop It Up stuff. Hoop It Up was like three on three, and even before that, I think it was like Gus Macker and things like that. There were these three on three playground tournament type things that were going on across the country, and then Hoop It Up kind of brought it under one umbrella. John and his buddies were playing in these tournaments and doing really well and obviously playing the way we do, uh, getting layups and threes and and just making heady plays, winning tournaments, winning championships. And so John has always been very passionate about three on three. Then over the years, as, as he kind of aged out, if you will, and Craig goes into the college basketball world and Kit's doing his thing and, and Mr. Duncan is rubbing shoulders with uh, Barack Obama and others. John even supported younger iterations of Team Princeton, if you will. And so guys like Craig Moore, who is a great, outstanding shooter and played for Bill Carmody at Northwestern, uh, he plays for the team. I believe Sean Jackson may have played for the team, a great shooter for Princeton. And then other guys, you know, a Kareem Maddox, a Damer Radies. And so that three-on-three, much of the stewardship of that idea and its connection to Princeton comes from John Rogers. So that is why Zach's teammate, Kareem uh, Maddox and Dan Mavrades, uh, both of them became involved in it and they gold medaled for Team USA now and the Pan American Games and have won countless tournaments and have flown across the world. Then they started playing with a guy like Damon Huffman, who's from Brown, who played for Craig Robinson. So I can go on and on, but that's just a little bit of a background in terms of the connection there between John Rogers, Maddox, Mavrades, Princeton, and three-on-three. So much so that a summer ago, Kareem and John invited myself and Armand Hill, a great Princeton former basketball player and, and obviously a great coach under Kareem, and then coached at Columbia and then won a championship uh, with the Boston Celtics alongside Doc Rivers as an assistant coach. He and I spent uh, a week or so out in San Diego training with Kareem and Team Princeton uh, as they were prepping for the Tokyo Olympics. So this all continues to this day. So now, where does that bring us? Three-on-three basketball, in my humble opinion, is the optimal way to develop the modern era basketball player. And so uh, why do I say that? Three on three, and I'm mostly focused on FIBA rules, which is a bit different and can jump into that or talk through that. But essentially, three on three allows players to have more interaction with the basketball, you know, on the ball or defending the ball or, or you know, one pass away from the ball than it does in five on five. And there are studies that have proven that. And I just think... That just makes common sense. You and I both know you can play in a five-on-five pickup game and you could go four or five minutes without touching the basketball. Well, three-on-three and specifically FIBA three-on-three doesn't allow for that. You're going to be involved. FIBA three-on-three specifically after a made basket, the defending team, you know, the ball goes through the net and um, you zip it to clear it beyond the three-point line and then it's live. And so it's a constant flow. So obviously a missed shot, you clear it, but a made shot, you clear it as well. And it's constant go, go, go. And so it demands 
your involvement. The uh, the cardio workout that you get from a three-on-three FIBA game is infinitely more than any one player will get in a five-on-five game. So you get the benefit of more touches on the ball. You get a better workout. And then, as I talked about in terms of the optimal way to develop a modern player, here's the deal. In the modern game, you need to be able to pass, dribble, shoot, and defend all of those actions. And you need to be able to do so everywhere on the floor and at a competitive, intense level. Okay, that, that's just what it is. Um, and it doesn't matter how little, uh, you know, how short you are, how tall, you, you want to call yourself a center or point guard, whatever it is, pass, dribble, shoot, defend those situations and be able to do it everywhere. That's the modern game. And so I think whether it's at the youth level that I'm, I'm very interested in, and I include not only little kids, but middle school and, and high school and, and all the way up to college developmental, I think that it's an outstanding way to bring all those skills along. And then the last part, and this has to deal with how we deliver the game and, and how we offer it up to players in terms of their development, the best way to develop skills is to do so in a setting that's closest to that five-on-five environment. Well, what I mean by that is three-on-three, again, uh, more touches, better cardio, more play and interaction with the ball, but there's also defense involved. So it's infinitely better as a developmental tool than just these individual workouts with a coach or one-on-zero or, you know, or just by yourself out in the driveway or, two or three kids just uh, shooting on the gun, you know, these shooting machines and putting cones and, and shares in. And none of that is offering up defense and none of that is offering up real world decision making. And so I'm pretty passionate about all this stuff and have kind of had that, you know, light bulb kind of turn off uh, for me and can very much envision myself Obviously, in, in the continuation of my coaching, whether it would be five on five or developing youth players is will always be having three on three as an integral part because it particularly zeroes in on that cognitive part that players need um, where they have to be making decisions. They need to lead in terms of problem solving and three on three FIBA, especially, but even old school to some level of three on three. It brings all that out in a better setting in a in a a more efficient setting than traditional five on five. So there's a bit of the history and also then my own perspective in terms of three on three and putting all those, those two together, Lawrence, where do you stand just in terms of you? And you already have obviously a feel for three on three um, and your own knowledge of the game. How would you look at, you know, what you know and what I shared, how would you look at those two things in relation to whether now it makes sense to have three-on-three be a viable and entertaining NCAA sport? Well, I've been playing three-on-three all my life, and I think becoming an NCAA sport would be the worst thing for it. (laughs) Okay. Who wants wants to have three-on-three regulated by the NCAA? Okay. (laughs) We want more government regulation than three-on-three. Absolutely not. (laughs) Touche. Touche. So then... But that comes with a, you know, I think, Zach, uh, you took it a whole nother route. I think Zach's thinking scholarships, opportunities uh, for student athletes. Dare I say its own March Madness. So Sanctions, it's- <laughs> compliance meetings. <laughs> 
Okay, how about the best that the NCAA has to offer? Then could you see the viability of three-on-three becoming an NCAA sport? Well, when are you going to play it? You don't want to play it during the college basketball season. right? So you can play it early in the fall as a short season or later in the spring. Why wouldn't you play it during the traditional college basketball season? So if you want the best players to be in it, do you want competing loyalties or commitments? So, yeah, let's talk this through. I think that there are very, very good players who might perform better in three-on-three than they would in five-on-five. Does that make them better or worse? I don't, I don't know. Their games may be more suited to a three-on-three, quick, fast-paced, uh, tighter space than, I'm using quotes, get lost in a five-on-five game. And then, Lawrence, there's so many players playing basketball, at least in my mind. I just think there's so many. There's more basketball players who want to play college than there are opportunities. If you're playing three-on-three college basketball and your season runs from October to March, are you getting seen as much as five-on-five? And yes, do you have to make a choice to not play during the traditional season? Yes, but it might be the choice that makes the most sense for you. And so I I think you just got to think, I'm not losing out. I'm actually gaining an opportunity. Is your three-on-three team going to have a coach that is paid by the university? Yes. Okay. And is your coach going to be handing out scholarships? Depends. So you haven't changed anything except you added another basketball team that's going to compete with the other basketball team, the main basketball team. Are they part of the same staff or are they recruiting against each other for the same players? I'm going to give you two answers. One, in my next calling as a coach, I'm going to have my guys playing three on three throughout the year on my five-on-five traditional basketball team um, because of what I believe it does in terms of overall player development, Um, whether it's from a cardio aspect, whether it's from more touches on the ball, whether it's from – go ahead. Well, that doesn't doesn't answer the question. (laughs) I'm I'm getting there. You just completely ducked the question. So no, no, I'm so getting you're there. telling me you're there. you are both the five one five and the three one three basketball coach. You're collecting two checks now. No, no, I'm not. I'm reiterating the fact that I believe in three on three basketball as the optimal way to develop players. All right, so that's for my five on five team that I'm over here. Somewhere down the hall, somebody else is the head coach. For and I, I think this would make sense for the men's and women's three-on-three program. I, I think that there can be one coach for a team of four. You normally, you know, three-on-three plus a sub. So one coach for two teams of four. The women's three-on-three team that has four players. The men's team that has four players. Do they need to be fully funded scholarship-wise? No, but neither is soccer. Baseball, lacrosse, swimming, da 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 da, et cetera, et cetera. So adding a Division One sport uh, does not mean you're adding millions of dollars to your budget. You might grant the coach one scholarship to split up between four players for the men, and one scholarship to split up between four players for the women. The coach is probably going to get paid commensurate to whatever the 
university thinks he or she warrants. Plus, hopefully, uh, some health insurance on the side. <laughs> um, so, uh, but no, I don't, and, and I don't think they compete. I'll say it again. I'm just not, I'm probably not saying it well enough is why it, it you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I don't think they're competing for the same players. Now, if you have a player, if that three-on-three coach walks down the hall and says, hey, coach, do you have someone who's not playing as much and is thinking about leaving the game but might want to try three-on-three? And I do, sure. But I don't think they're trying to poach my players or I'm trying to poach theirs. I can't um, wait until some ambitious three-on-three head coach says, listen, I know you're the best player on the five-on-five team, but you're a one-and-done <laughs> anyway. And... We have all of our games are going to be televised. Ice Cube is going to be there for the big three. You only have to practice like three times a week. You get the full ride. Just you know, co- come over to three on three. You have a dark part of your personality that I think comes out in some of these conversations where it's like you're assuming the worst. I've met a lot of basketball coaches. <laughs> you can't blame me. Hey, hey I take exception to that. Um, I mean, Listen, you know, people are going to be people. I I still don't think that that takes away from, and listen, three on three, three X three is what it's called internationally. It's booming. It is for the first time in these Tokyo Olympics was a medal sport. And so the U.S. women coached by Kara Lawson, uh, who's a current Duke head coach, uh, she coached the team. And Lawrence, the irony of you cornering me on what colleges might spend and what could be the negative of all this. One of the great positives that FIBA believes about 3x3 is that so many nations across the world can compete because it doesn't demand a lot in terms of resources. Again, four players, a coach if you choose, most uh, the gold medaling and most successful programs in the world, um, at least on the men's side, they have a dedicated coach, a year-round coach. They have a dedicated trainer or um, you know strength and conditioning person. They do have a support staff. But a lot of countries, even if you commit even those to support people, a head coach and four athletes, I mean, you're talking seven people. Now you have to pay for, you know, flying them across the world, these different tournaments. But the point is you can do that in college. You could have teams play regionally. You're not spitting out a lot of, a lot of money. And again, you're given some great opportunities for people. And then lo and behold, it can certainly turn around or become a pipeline to feed into the USA basketball system. Team USA, they got a taste for gold. And Lawrence, in addition to our emailed question from Zach Woolridge, we also have a listener who just writes in to share some words of support. Paul Cook writes in, I have thoroughly enjoyed the podcast episodes with you, Coach, and L Boogie. The student athletes and their perspectives have blown me away. They are truly amazing men and show that our future is bright. Keep up the great work. I've already rated the podcast a five-star rating and will share the link to others. All the best. Paul, thank you so much for your words of support. And I have to tell you, Lawrence and I came together on this podcast to 
let you in on conversations that he and I have had for years about something we truly love, basketball and Ivy League basketball in particular. But I will also say that there are so many stories to tell and to share with folks to give you a bit more color and perspective and joy and love for the games and the folks who are prime participants in it, whether it's the coaches, the student athletes, referees, what have you, and certainly you all as we all bring different stories and perspectives, but love this game of basketball and Ivy League basketball in particular. So, Paul, thank you for joining the conversation and being so warm and supportive with your words, but right back at you. This has been a labor of love for Lawrence and I, and we uh, hope that Paul and many others of you will join us for the ride and continue to spread the word so we can have as big and broad a conversation as possible. Let's call it what it is. Division I basketball for men and women is fully funded, meaning every player on the team is on a full scholarship. All right. Oh, hold the phone. That can't be true. That's 100% true. I was going to say, apart from walk-ons, that's 1,000% true. They're on the team. So this, this is your prejudice against the walk-ons. <laughs> they, they are on the team. They're not fully funded. Right, but they're invited onto the team, they're not recruited onto the team, which is, you know, fundamentally different. <laughs> I love it. I love it. There's just this one stark, stark exception in your mind. I, I feel like I'm not going to change your mind on that point at all. Walk and talk me through how I should view that. So I don't know if there's there's a way that you should view it. It just seems like a a very particular way of, of viewing the situation. There's a fundamental difference between being a walk-on student-athlete and a recruited student-athlete. There is a fundamental difference, and here's what it is. Are you ready? Well, before you drop it on me, I'll just say that in the manner that you, you actually treat the players, just knowing from experience, there's actually no difference. You give them the same courtesy, respect, coaching as, as the rest of them. Of course, the guys who need to play, you have to get the most correction in terms of what they do, but there are not two classes on your teams, as far I, as I can tell. I, that, that is assumed. I appreciate you saying that, but I'm not even... That doesn't, that's shine, through, that doesn't shine through in the word, <laughs> words that you use. Well, <laughs> it, that, fundamental that, difference. Okay, but that's why I want to talk about it. And I can't speak for other teams and coaches and walk-ons and all that. But this is the fundamental... Di- and it's very important to state. When you recruit a player, your intention is you're viewing them as someone who can essentially affect the team goal in a positive way, which is win a championship. Just win a championship. So this player, I'm bringing in this player to play in games at some point in his career to help us win a championship. And I have a four-year plan with them in mind. A walk-on player, I have not ever, and I'll just, I'm being very transparent here, I have never taken that approach with a walk-on player in the sense of his role on the court. Now, you and I both know that I've had many walk-on players who have developed into a player who is actually 
playing in games and helping us move towards a championship whereby even at Fairfield, I put walk-ons on scholarship, but I'm just being transparent and my initial contact and working with them is I'm thinking they can help us with all other things in the program in terms of how hard they work, their values. And you can argue, yes, that had some impact on what goes on the court, yes, but I didn't have them in mind in terms of them actually being on the court over the course of four years, but I've left the door open for that. And in a scholarship player, I'm saying if they can't help this team on the court over a four-year period, I'm not offering them a scholarship. I would offer them a walk-on spot. That's a fundamental difference. And I don't run and hide from that at all. Ooh, there's something that runs deeper. I think maybe in your playing days, a walk-on ate your breakfast or something. <laughs> <laughs> there's just something. No, I don't understand. Like, like, to me, that is so, I don't know if innocuous is the right word, that it is so, I mean, I'm just being honest, it's so clear. I don't see the controversy in that at all. And yet, I feel like it's, when I say it to you, it, it's almost like I'm being guilted into some, some kind of feeling that I don't have. <laughs> if a walk-on from the other team drills a three-pointer and the place goes nuts, does it spark some kind of rage that would not otherwise? I think, I think he should be most enraged. Hey, I'm a player. What am I? What, what is this like? What do you, what, are you not entertained? <laughs> I'm a player too. He should be more upset. You know, when they're like, oh, put little Joey in. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Throw him the go. ball. Throw him the ball. That's offensive to him. That's offensive to little Joey. Whereas little Joey, he's a player, as you said. Like, I never, what are you, what are you talking about? Throw him the ball. Let him. Sh no, man, I'm out here hooping with my teammates. Like, he prefers Joseph, all right? He's a he's a sophomore in the engineering department. I, I'm <laughs> you don't have to call him little Joey. I'm right there, but that's that wasn't me. That was the that was the you guys out there. That's my point. That's my point. That's been my experience with walk-ons. You know, you've been in those meetings. I'm like, "Listen, you're not here to like buddy up. We're here to get better. You're going to help us be better. You'll be a friend with these guys." as it relates to the, the struggle and the grind and the ups and downs that you guys go through together. Put yourself on that pedestal right now. Don't come in here with like eyes all bulged out. So now if you just happen to go into the game, you better play like they play. So then why are fans like, you know, when our star player hits a three, they don't go bananas like that. So why are you, why are you patronizing this kid? When he subs in late and it's like, oh, throwing the ball, throwing the ball, shoot it, shoot. It's like, yo, man, I'm a player. So I win this battle, Lawrence. You're not getting me off of this one. <laughs> you are not getting me off of this one. Lawrence, what are the big upcoming games we have for the Ancient Eight? It's finally here. The first Ivy League weekend comes up Sunday, January 2nd. We've got Columbia at Yale, 
Princeton at Harvard, Dartmouth at Cornell, and Brown at Penn. Well, Lawrence, I think that does it for our halftime edition of the Ivy League Hoops Hour. We can't wait to get into 2022. Happy New Year to all of you out there, listeners, and please continue to join us and write in. Let us know how you stand on the different topics, suggestions for the show, guests to bring on. Write in to us at Ivy League Hoops Hour at gmail.com and let us know where you're standing as always again don't keep this show and the fun that we're having to yourselves spread the word to friends family colleagues let them know about us encourage them to follow subscribe and give us a five-star rating lawrence what do we have as we say goodbye to our listeners i have my new year's resolution it's to learn a little bit of hebrew and a little bit of swedish for our listeners abroad Well, that's a good one, Lawrence. And my New Year's resolution is to keep the momentum of this show going. How about that? We've had so much fun so far. Uh, We say it all the time that this has been a labor of love, and it sure is for myself and Lawrence. We assure you we will be racking our brains, coming up with the best topics to cover, and certainly responding to your emails and getting those great guests week in and week out. So we look forward to next week joining you all in 2022 with a new guest to cover and talk about all things men's basketball and the ancient eight. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. And what's keeping, well, I guess we know what's keeping, um, the 515 players from it. They're on the 515 team. It's when they're not on the 515 team anymore. That's when they start playing three on three. I played them in an intramural game and I fouled the <laughs> out of them because I wasn't going to let him score on me. And we won the game. And yeah, he was pissed off. <laughs> I'm glad you got that out of your system. <laughs>